Give me a go, no go for launch. Just when you think you're out, they pull you back in. I was gonna say something that was not true. I, I don't know why we do these. Let's make film history. We are go for launch. Welcome back, everybody, to the Almost Sideways podcast. We're so glad you are joining us. This is episode 109. Uh, we are recording this Sunday, January 17th, 2021, at about 5.20 p.m. Pacific time. I'm your host, Terry Plucknett, and Todd and Zach are taking the week off. So, joining me is Adam Daly. Adam, how's it going? Well, when you're the fourth person on the speed dial to get the, the call, that hey, can you be an episode? <laughs> yeah, I'll fill in for you guys. The B team is here. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, well, what was it? Uh, what what team yesterday in the in the playoffs had to go to their fourth string quarterback? But <laughs> you never know when you got to be called up and contribute in the in the middle of a in the middle of the playoff run. So uh, yeah, absolutely. Like that lineup's got to keep turning over. That's a base for baseball anyway. Yeah, so yeah. I, I'm there. I'm gonna turn over the lineup. So let's do it. It's <laughs> the Ravens. The Ravens. When Lamar got hurt, they went to their fourth string quarterback yesterday and. Wow! Yeah, I I I, uh, t- I totally forgot to check the Bills game, so oh, yeah, I'm assuming they won. So that's, they did. that's good. They go, did. Yeah, go Bills. <clears throat> and uh, yeah, well, I, I'm glad I'm glad you're here. Uh, I'm actually really glad you're here because we have a very different show planned than we normally have, and I think it's a show that would honestly never happen if Todd and Zach had any say on things, because we're going to talk about <laughs> some things that they don't care at all about and so uh so we're gonna have some fun just kind of geeking out on some things that really only we could geek out on and uh and so it's gonna be good it's gonna be good yeah todd is in vegas right now um putting down money on whatever he can um his big bet he he sent me a text saying uh the first day he uh he knew he was uh he got accepted into the club when uh the guy at the sports book counter laughed at him putting money down on the Cal Baptist Tarleton State College football, uh, basketball game. It's like <laughs> there that. We go. Yeah. It's like when he puts down money on that, it's a uh, he, he you, you know you're uh, you belong. But uh, <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> he did t- I texted him I said have fun in Vegas. He said I told him I saw promising young woman uh, yesterday. He's like I might go see that, but cuz the theaters are closed up here in Washington, that's right. a perfect time. Go see that movie, Todd, if you if you're listening to this in the future. Yeah, he he's <laughs> he told me he was going to it depended on how everything went today if you would go if you check it out or not. And uh and Zach just Zach needed a week off. He he got busy, so uh so here we are. And we're going to have yeah. some fun. So, uh First, let's get this all out of the way. Subscribe, rate, review. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on Stitcher. We're on Spotify. We're on Pandora. We're on YouTube. Um, Hell yeah! <laughs> and on YouTube, you'll you'll get kind of snippets. You'll get little clips of some of parts of our episodes uh, for the full episodes. Uh, subscribe on the podcast platforms. Uh, Adam, just uh, your latest daily notes just debuted this morning, and you're talking about uh, the. Go ahead, tell us what what you're talking about on that one. So I'm trying to fill in my filmographies, which basically means they're movies that I probably should have watched by now that I haven't. So this is my first time watch episodes. I've been doing them once a month, a couple weeks, a couple last month was like Rocky Horror Picture Show. So this month I had three guys as guests because they're diehard Superman fans. And this is kind of a weird kind of fill in your gap type of thing. This is a first time watch of Superman 2, the Richard Donner cut. Uh, 
director's cuts are kind of strange because they're all over the place. Sometimes some of them are beneficial. And I, from my conversation with them, this was a definitely a beneficial one because you have Marlon Brando actually on screen interacting with Christopher Reeve. So it was a good conversation with them. We've talked about like an hour about this movie, gushing about it. So I'm, I'm trying to edit it down a little bit because we kind of branch off in different t- uh, topics as well. But it's a really good conversation. If you listen to the podcast, definitely check it out. It, it wouldn't be a normal so. sideways podcast episode if tangents were not made. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We start talking about Wonder Woman and we talk about Batman. It's all DC fun related stuff, but you know, got to trim it down a little bit. For yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> good, good. Cool. All right. Well, uh, Adam, what are you drinking tonight? Well, I got a Costco box of Elysium beer, Elysian. Uh, I got Men's Room Original Red. Just going to go with the Men's Room. I, I like it. It's good. Good little red beer here. So. Fun stuff. I liked what I'm drinking. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, the, I I've had that one. It's not bad. It's not bad. Favorite Elysian is yeah. definitely Space Dust, but that one. Space Dust by far is the best. Yeah. 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 So I got one for. Uh, this is one I got for Christmas. I went with the gigantic bottle. Oh, there we um, go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is at a Ninkasi Brewing in Eugene. Uh, this is their Total Domination Northwest IPA. Ooh, so, uh, there we go. Yeah, yeah. Ninkasi, it's not my favorite brewery, but it's good. It's it's a solid one. It um, it I rarely pick to buy it, but it was bought for me, so that makes it even better. So uh, so it, yeah, go. it's a good qual yeah good quality uh, brewery, but not my not one that you would pick. So if we're gonna relate to this like Marvel superheroes, what kind of how would that be uh to relatable to that? Um, this is like uh. This is like the uh, Marie Hill of uh, oh, yeah. of Marvel. I mean, it's effective, but not necessarily featured. Yeah, that's a good, <laughs> good, good way to put that. Okay, good. We'll tie that in later, I promise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, uh, let's go around a little bit and talk a little bit about some films that we've been watching. And uh, yeah. Adam, I'm going to go to you first. Uh, tell us about uh, one of the films that you've been watching. We'll we'll go around a couple rounds of this, but one of the films you've watched this week. All right. So I actually, I think of the last update I sent you, I think it was last Sunday I sent you this review, but it's kind of one of the ones I was kind of thinking about quite a bit. And I'm seeing a lot of uh, kind of award consideration, like don't, don't rule this actor out, and that's Bill Murray for On the Rocks. Yeah, I think um, mm-hmm, yeah. It's, it's interesting that uh, they're considering Bill Murray because it's a, a, uh, an appreciation Oscar. I don't necessarily think he's got any chance. Maybe if he gets a nomination for it, would be awesome. But On the Rocks is a Sofia Coppola film. And I know that when during all the awards, like uh, independent film festivals happen, they would give appreciation to Sofia Coppola. But this uh, has... Basically, Bill Murray and Rashida Jones. A lot of people might know her from The Office or even uh, I Love You, Man. But Rashida Jones is actually the front and center actress in this film. And I love that she's such a talented actress, but getting a, like a main starring role is really awesome. And basically, it's like a father-daughter relationship movie where they think that Rashida Jones' husband, played by um, Marlon Wayans, is possibly having an affair. And, you know, Bill Murray is this big old player. He's basically flirting with every single woman in the movie, <laughs> too. But he's so smooth about it. And it's it's really interesting to see this the father-daughter dynamic. And uh, my wife and I both watched it, and we were really charmed by it. There was something at the end of the movie that really kind of... I was just like, wait, what? That, that happened? So the ending didn't quite necessarily land 100% for me. 
But overall, it was a very enjoyable watch on the Apple Plus streaming service. I kind of just broke down because this is one of the movies I wanted to watch before I did my top 10 of the year. And yeah, I uh, really liked I, – I really enjoy this. I recommend people watching it. If you like Bill Murray on the rocks, it's a good th- solid three-star film, a high three-star film for me. Uh, I, I really enjoyed this one. I can definitely see watching. And it was kind of a, just a good, re- uh, good character film for me. So, uh, yeah, on the rocks. It's a good, uh, good watch. Go watch it. Nice. Yeah, I, I still need to need to just bite the bullet and get Apple TV+. Plus. I want to see On the Rocks. I want to see Greyhound. I want to see um, Boys Wolf State, Walkers. Wolf Walkers. Um, I want to see, they have the, the TV series for all mankind. I'm And I love all the space travel stuff, so I really want to watch yeah. that. I don't know, I just got to have to bite the bullet one of these days and actually do it, but I haven't done it yet. Yeah. The Morning Show is another show that I wanted to watch, right, and also yeah. that uh, Jason Momoa show as well is on it too. Yeah, nobody actually it's... knows the title of that show. It's just the Jason Momoa show. I... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, basically. Is it like it's like C? C. Isn't C, that I it? Think, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. All right. So uh, the first one I'm going to talk about is my uh, my oscar anniversary watch for the week and and adam before we got on you said you wanted a chance to to guess um okay, and this might go. be one of like the, the, it's an impossible guess so i'm it's i'll be impressed if you get it. so this is 2011 so 10 years ago it was nominated for one oscar and that oscar was costume design and here's what makes it impossible it is one of three movies nominated that year and they're for a costume design that was its sole nomination. And I haven't seen any of them before this week. <laughs> 2011. So if you actually knew the category, there are three choices that would be rolling around in your head right now. And if you actually knew the category, you'd be insane. So <laughs> yeah. Has anybody else seen it on the website? Yes. Yes. Actually, it, it's it's kind of a timely, timely watch. Period. I probably... I, and that's probably I've seen it too. No, um, the only one I thought was Paula and Abdul. That that's definitely wrong. <laughs> so I have no idea. What is it, Terry? <laughs> Isn't it Victoria and Abdul? I that's think? probably what it is. And not, Paula, that wasn't Paula 20, Abdul. Twenty eleven either. Anyways, yeah, I don't know. We'll just I, assume you didn't guess that. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, this is uh, Jane Eyre. Uh, okay, from twenty eleven. Uh, starring Mia Wasikowska, Michael Fassbender, Jamie Bell, and and hey hey Claire or uh, uh, Dame Judi Dench is in it. So uh, hey, there was <laughs> you had that connection. You had something there. But what makes yes. it fascinating is this was actually directed by Kerry Joji Fukunaga, who is the one who did the newest uh, the newest James Bond movie, No Time to Die. That's we're gonna see eventually wow. at some point. Uh, this was like his first big like studio movie after his breakout scene Nombre. Um, and, uh, and he's really built up his brand throughout the decade with stuff like starting true detective. And then, uh, he had, um, beasts of no nation and now, and now he's got James Bond, but Jane Eyre was kind of his first big one tackling the classic Charlotte Bronte novel. And uh, it was fine. Um, I, I, it takes a lot for me to get into these, like, period yeah. romances i i never fully understand it, it it's it was like it's always like oh i noticed this girl and then five minutes later i'm going to marry her it's, and and there's like <laughs> nothing that happens in between it's like there's what is going on what is going on 
and and so the one twist with Jane Eyre is that Jane Eyre is like the governess for his children. So it's like, it's like think, think Mary Pop or not Mary Poppins, the other Julie Andrews. Think Sound of Music meets Jane Austen, hmm. but dark with a weird twist at the end, a la Rebecca. Okay, and that's, wow, that's Jane Eyre. That's a- Okay. Okay. That's intriguing enough, anyway. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it it didn't fully work for me. I'm giving it two and a half. It's a beautiful film. The costumes. I mean, they're period costumes, so they're great, and you know that they're going to be there. They deserve the nomination. Um, but it was just kind of eh. 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 So uh, nice. yeah, two and a half. Uh, was hoping it'd be better, especially as a effort for uh, for Fukunaga like that, but uh, um. I, I don't know. My my wife has read Jane Eyre, and she said the book is like 500, 600 pages long. Oh wow! And that, but we have like a two-hour movie, so I probably left a lot out. And if I mean, it's one of those that needed a miniseries. But anyways, yeah. two and a half stars for Jane Eyre. Not bad. Not bad. Interesting. Yeah, I remember uh, now that you mentioned it. I do remember seeing that that was a nominated movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and not and not Paula. And Abdul, but which is Paula Abdul, <laughs> so, <laughs> that I said. <laughs> so, so just just so you know, the other two that were only nominated for costumes that year that I still need to see are Anonymous, the movie about Shakespeare. Shakespeare, yeah. And uh, and W E, which is the Madonna directed movie about uh, the former king of England and, that abdicated. Ah, okay, okay. Uh, sounds like fun yeah so those are the <laughs> those other two. those i'll watch at some point this year but just yeah, not right now <laughs> and not today and not <laughs> not today okay uh adam give us another movie you watched all right so i know that this is a film that todd actually recently watched i would want to talk about promising young woman but i don't want to give any talk about that because i know that you guys are going to be watching it for next episode i believe i that's think so what I, remember. I think so that's the rumor all right Okay, that's the rumor. Rumor has it. Uh, but anyway, I don't want to talk about that. It's a great movie. Watch it. Okay, so the movie I want to talk about is a horror film that is probably going to be sneaking in my top ten. It was fantastic. It's called uh, Possessor. It's directed mm. by Brandon Cronenberg. I've heard a lot about this. Okay, so if you know anything about the Cronenberg family, that they are really good about in-your-face kind of, uh, you know, not CGI horror, but practical effect horror and that's exactly what we got about uh, in this film it's uh, the premise is you follow this um this agent who works for some kind of military you know like fbi type of stuff cia i believe that's what it was but anyway uh she is played by andrea um risen no it i think that's good yeah andrea risenborg and um basically she can possess certain people and uh, do tasks, like killings and such. Basically, it opens up really brutally with this the stabbing, and it go. It's pretty intense, and, it, and it, blood, a lot of blood and guts and stuff like that. But it's a very interesting concept, and uh, we're following. He basically possesses this other guy for this other job, and she slowly their their body. She can't get out of that body, so it's they're slowly that these two bodies are kind of becoming one. It's a just, it sounds maybe uh, not as good as I'm making it out to be, but the way the film is able to convey what this uh, agency is doing, it's very fascinating stuff. And the especially if you're going out for that, uh, you know, practical effect horror, 
this definitely knocked it out of the park. And I think the sound design in this is probably the best since Sound of Metal that came out this year. Uh, Sound of Metal was really kind of my Oscar favorite, but Possessor, if it, it should, I would love for it to be nominated in there. Uh, a lot of the visuals are really haunting, and it was really kind of had had me squirming in my seat and kind of wanted to look away because it is there's some gross stuff that happens in this movie, but it's really effective as well. It makes you kind of feel uncomfortable and trapped in their their, their skin as well. Uh, but that really great performances from the whole cast. Jennifer Jason Lee shows up in this one as kind of the boss lady who are sending, uh, assigning these tasks, and I believe Christopher Abbott is the guy that she um, uh, Andrea is kind of has to. Uh, take over the body but he's a fantastic actor he's fantastic in this one and a really compelling uh character when he's trying to mix both personalities in uh, on screen and yeah so definitely look out for christopher abbott i would love to see him in more stuff he also played in another movie came out this year i want to see called black bear with audrey plaza but you've also seen him from like first man it comes at night uh a most violent year and also uh fox lux which is an alley portman film and then Whiskey Tango Foxtrot, which is a Tina Fey, uh, Margot Robbie movie, too. So he's been in some big projects. So hopefully this is kind of his breakout because he's one of the main leads in this movie. So Brandon Cronenberg, Cronenberg would love to see more of his stuff, especially following in his father's footsteps. Really great stuff. Three and a half stars for me. Nice. Nice. Good to hear. Yeah, I've heard good things about that one, so I'll definitely try to check that out. One of my favorite horror movies of the year, and then you can actually—it's pretty easy, cheap rental too. Like two ninety-nine is what I found on Amazon. Oh, nice, so really cheap. Yeah, yeah, that's worth it. Cool. All right. So my other film that I'm going to talk about uh, is—I've uh, already made my maiden 2021 voyage, and that was—and that was this movie. It debuted on HBO Max this week. Uh, it is called Locked Down. Yeah. Um, okay. And uh, I, I I saw it and I was like, I needed something to watch. I was like, this seems like a good one to watch. So uh, it's directed by Doug Lyman, uh, who's oh, yeah. known for like he did Board Identity, uh, like Mr. And Mrs. Smith stuff like that. Uh, this stars Chiwetel Ejiofor and Anne Hathaway, and it is definitely what makes this one fascinating. It is is it it is definitely a COVID movie, uh, <laughs> definitely filmed during COVID. Uh, where you have um, Chiwetel Ejiofor playing uh, uh, Paxton and Hathaway is playing Linda. They are a couple that um, decided to break up. And as soon as they decided to break up, shutdown happened. And quarantine happened. And lockdown happened. And so now they're stuck in this house that they've been sharing for years uh, as <laughs> no longer together. And there's a lot of con any conversation that happens not between the two of them happens over Zoom, uh, which allows for a lot of random cameos. Like you have uh, you have uh, Ben Stiller in this movie, Ben Kingsley's in this movie, Stephen Merchant, Mindy Kaling, uh, Dulé Hill, and his real life wife plays his wife because they just they have were locked down in the same house, so they're they're <laughs> together in this. Um, and so what ends up happening is as they're not getting along, the circumstances arise that actually allow them to potentially pull off a giant uh, uh, heist and uh, and steal this really uh, valuable diamond. It's oh, wow. interesting. Is it a bad movie? No. Is it a good movie? Probably not. Um, is it fun? Yes. It has a very high rewatchable factor. Just simply because it's one of those that you can just turn on and be like mildly entertained by if you just need something on in the background. 
uh, it's a two and a half star movie. Um, if you've got HBO Max, it's easy to find. Uh, and yeah, the the quirk of it being a COVID movie, like it, COVID like plays a character in this movie because of how everything is done on Zoom. The whole scenario, the circumstances of this movie would not be possible if not for COVID. So uh, it's for that alone, I'd say it's kind of worth a watch. Um, I'm probably going to like it more than much more than Todd or Zach would. But uh, uh, I, th- I think you might enjoy it. it it's a good one. Yeah, I sat down with the wife to watch it. You could probably sit down with your wife and watch it. It's it's not bad. It's good entertainment, just but not necessarily good. <laughs> yeah, it's like uh, my uh, friend Sean Chandler. He would always say it's like Taco Bell. It's not good. But it's digestible. Like you can, like you yeah, can at least exactly. like you watch it. Yeah, I it's like, like Taco that. Bell food. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's a Taco Bell movie. Yeah, I yeah. Like that. <laughs> it sounds a lot better than that movie, uh, Songbird, that Michael Bay did. It's basically it's like COVID twenty three is here and it's it, it mutated and it's like these. It's it's a, it's like the very first COVID movie I heard. And, oh uh, yeah, yeah I heard that... it's like one of the worst movies made this year. So yeah, not watching that, that, that one. This is this is just like that sounds better reality and. I mean, right now it's got a 5.0 on IMDb, but it's only got 1,700 votes, so not many yeah. people have seen it yet. That's actually gone up like 0.2 since the last time I checked, so I think people are actually starting to watch it and realize it, it's just fun. It's a fun, entertaining movie. Not necessarily good, but you'll be entertained by it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay. Sometimes it's okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, cool. So those are that's what we've been watching now. Let's get to our featured review. I love this movie so much. I did not really like this film at all. This is the most Zack movie ever made. You gotta see it. Movie reviews. And our featured review is a 2020 movie that uh, just debuted on Amazon Prime. And it is a heavy uh, Oscar contender that we're going to be talking about for the next couple months, I'm sure. And that is One Night in Miami. Ready for tonight? I'm as ready as a person can be. After the fight, we're all coming back here for the champs' victory party. Don't be late. Minister Malcolm X. Good news, the chariot is coming. You know I'm the greatest. That's right. Jim Brown takes the ball. Your record is going to stand the test of time. How's everybody feeling tonight? All together, yeah. (laughs) New heavyweight champion of the world. Hey, champ, you don't suppose you could sign an autograph? Yeah, of course, man. Give him an autograph, Jim. Actually, Mr. Cook. (laughs) Oh. Sure thing, brother. Don't you think it's about time to party? Tonight is a chance for us to reflect. You mean no one else is coming? Well, this is all to a hopping start. You all are a bright and shining future. You need to understand what is at stake here. Everything's not so black and white like you make it out to be. But we are fighting for our lives. You know I know what's going on out there, right? Listen, listen. Brothers and sisters, listen, listen, listen. Miami, the champ! I swear we'll never find a way to where we're going all alone. The goal is for us to really be free. We want a world where we're safe to be ourselves. To 
think like we want. Speak Without having to answer to anybody for it. We have to be there for each other. Who's the greatest? You brothers could move mountains without lifting a finger. Uh, this is the directorial debut of Regina King and tells of a of a fictional account kind of based on some true events of a night in Miami after a heavyweight fight between Muhammad Ali and Sonny Liston where uh, Muhammad Ali at the time, Cassius Clay, Sam Cooke, Malcolm X, and Jim Brown, the NFL great, hang out for the entire night. Uh, it's based on a play by Kemp Powers. Um, it stars, uh, let's see here, where are their names? Um, so it's, uh, Sam Cooke is Leslie Odom Jr., Malcolm X is Kingsley Benadir, who is really kind of emerging as the breakout star of this movie. Uh, Cassius Clay is played by Eli Goree, and Jim Brown is Aldous Hodge. Um, I found this movie fascinating. I loved, loved, loved this movie. Uh, it was, the, the conversations were, uh, were really poignant uh, they, they really dug into some really interesting topics and explored some things. Um, the performances by these guys are, are incredible. Uh, they're able to, I, I'd say maybe outside of Cassius Clay a little bit, they're able to, um, to give, a, give a portrayal of the character without really feeling like they're impersonating, but really embodying that character. And like I said, the, the Cassius Clay performance may border just a little bit on going a little over the top but that that's also Cassius Clay he was very over the top yeah um but yeah Kingsley Benadire and uh, and Leslie Odom Jr are definitely the standouts in this one of the things i kept on thinking as i was watching it is in the last month this is the second uh based on a play movie that we've watched it's one night in miami and Ma Rainey's black bottom and i feel like this did um so did what I hated about Ma Rainey's Black Bottom so so well, and that is it felt authentic 100% of the time. Uh, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, I felt like so many times the conversations felt so contrived, and um, and let's let's just kind of come up with some weird circumstance to get this character to give a five minute monologue. That's not what this was. It was an authentic, real conversation throughout the entire movie. And uh, and really made you think. It uh, it showed you some history. It uh, it really explored these characters and who each of them really were. Uh, I I loved it. It was it was an incredible movie. Regina King knocked it out of the park with her directorial debut. If there was one tiny little um, critique I'd have, uh, I felt like the score was a little distracting at times. For most of the movie, there isn't really that much music. Like, they'll play some songs, like, really work in some songs into it. And there's just the tiniest little bit of orchestration. And it's distracting because it, it like, comes up to, like, remind you, oh, hey, in case you didn't know, this is an emotional part. And it's like, it wasn't needed, and it kind of breaks the mood just a little bit. And if I had any critique, it'd be that. But... I'm, I, it's not enough to knock it off of four stars for me. This is one of the best films of the year. Um, four of the best performances of the year. Uh, amazing, amazing movie if you haven't seen it. Adam, what are your thoughts? All right. Well, we don't have a third person to break up. No, I, I, <laughs> I actually, 
I uh, I enjoyed this one. I'm gonna give this one a three stars for me. Uh, I I agree with a lot of what you're saying. It was a very good informational piece. I really didn't know too many. Like I got some background information on a lot of these character, these actual real life people in this fictional account. It it felt stagey, but it was also very like it. it it was it was based off a play, which I didn't actually know that. So I just thought it was just like a, a story that people told. But so that was really cool. That I'm just finding out that the performances were fantastic. Definitely, I'm really liking the Kingsley Benadier, who obviously played Malcolm X, and I think that uh, Leslie Odom Jr., who played Sam Cooke, is probably going to get uh, the Oscar nom. I know he's won a couple or been in the running for best supporting uh, here as well. Um, Aldous Hodge was I've seen him in a lot of stuff. He played Jim Brown. Uh, obviously, he was in The Invisible Man this year as well, which I really liked. He's always really good. He's always electric in there. I'm like, I like that he was finally able to get like um, a kind of front and center kind of performance here as well. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. Say the the guy who played Cassius Clay, L um, Eli Gorey. He was probably the one that didn't, you know, had was a little more of the top top for sure. But the main four they had great chemistry they definitely played off each other really well and especially during a year where people are get upset with what you say sometimes and they just want to start yelling at you these guys showed that you could totally come from different backgrounds and different uh ways of thinking but be able to sit down in a hotel room on a rooftop whatever the case may be and be able to talk things out and come to kind of an understanding of who the person is instead of just trying to like not just trying to shut that person out and not wanting to uh you know, have a conversation with them. It's it's definitely one that I'm probably gonna have to rewatch again. I, you know, I watched it last night and I was like, oh, this is really good, but it probably didn't hit me as well as it definitely did you. And I'm I'm glad this is getting um some Oscar attention. I think the performance is on. Hopefully, we get a, one of those actors gets a, some recognition. This is definitely gonna get nominated for best ensemble at this the SAGs. And um, I, Regina King, I think too. This is kind of an interesting first project for her for being stepping into the director's chair. I know that she said that she wanted to work with more people of uh, color uh, when she did was producing movies and seeing her step in front of the camera with the cast that was you know per, per, per not, ugh, predominantly people of color. I think that was, it was awesome to put these people in. Uh, these actors and these characters in the forefront of film. And it was so, it was really interesting. It makes me definitely, I've heard everything you said, it makes me want to go rewatch this one again. But right now, my first take was, this is really solid film. I maybe I couldn't digest it as much. So maybe a second time I could move it up higher. So this is it's definitely a really solid movie that you guys should definitely watch. And it's free on Amazon. So why aren't you going to watch it? So, yeah, I, I, I agree with you in that. Uh, I thought, I thought the same thing about it being Regina King's directorial debut and it being a very interesting choice because a lot of times when you have these actors that decide to sit in the director's chair, they, they usually choose something that is, um, like, a more of like a personal experience type of, type of story. Like, I think like Greta Gerwig and Lady Bird, like that was a very personal story for her. Uh, mm-hmm. you think like, uh, even like, like, Tom Hanks, that thing you do. I mean, it's 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 light, kind of di- just kind of different stuff. That's that's exploring something that that they that they enjoy or they know a lot about. And it's interesting that Regina King chooses more of this historic um, look at um, an adaptation of a play. It, it's just a very different, very different thing. And also, I, you also see often. When a woman gets in the director's chair for the first time, someone like Regina King, it's to push forward uh, female uh, stories. And instead, 
she focused more on pushing forward a very a very african-american story which is is telling in itself but it's just interesting that she picked a movie with four male leads and it's there the entire movie i it i'm just fascinated that 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 this was a choice i'm not saying it's bad i'm just fascinated that this is what she went with so a couple other things that i i thought of as i was watching it one um as i was watching it and watching kingsley benadir play malcolm x i thought to myself okay just looking at this guy his just his look he had to have played obama at some point and sure enough (laughs) in the comey rule the uh, the showtime miniseries he was obama um (laughs) and which came out this last year so so i was right there and the other thing that i noticed is watching Eli Gorey's uh, portrayal of Cassius Clay, I realized that Cassius Clay really was just a pre-incarnation of Charles Barkley. <laughs> like, you listen to the cadence, and you listen to how he talks, it, it it's so similar to what Charles Barkley does now. I thought it was really funny. And yeah, mm-hmm. uh, someone's going to get nominated out of this. It, I think it all a lot of it depends on if they all become lead, or if there's any that are supporting. I think I heard Golden Globes, they're all supporting Mm-hmm. Um, and, but there, I, there's some might say Kingsley Benadir needs to be lead or Leslie Odom Jr. needs to be lead and the other two can be supporting. I, it's, it's going to be tough to see how that all, all plays out. I think one thing that is a lock though, is I've heard a lot of good things about Leslie Odom Jr. being a uh, best original song nominee, uh, oh, yeah, because he wrote the call. song over the, during the credits. Oh, and, that, okay. and that's one of the, that's the original song that, uh, that they're, looking at so he's probably going to get a nomination for the song it probably has a really good shot at adapted screenplay yeah um i would agree it but yeah very just amazing amazing movie that's definitely going to be uh be talked about when we get to the oscars yeah definitely and um you know now knowing that this was a based off a play i think this nothing wrong with uh ma Remy's black bottom but i think this is kind of uh I think for me, I enjoyed this one a little bit more than that movie. Chadwick was great, and Viola Davis had uh, amazing uh, turn of that as that character. But I think these four different personalities, larger than life people, were just made me enjoy this movie a little bit more than that one. Yeah, th- those also, those two I, performances I might have been better than anything here, but the the overall product and story and script was so much stronger. I feel in one night. Go ahead. And I also enjoyed how it bounced around different locations of this hotel, a convenience store, and it bounced around a lot more. And it's, at least that's, uh, I enjoyed that where it wasn't just felt like it was just in certain areas for long period, longer periods of times too. So I, I kind of like that a lot. See, I don't, mi- I don't mind it all being set in like one room or anything like that. But, yeah. uh, but yeah, like I said, I just feel like it was so much better put together. Than, mm-hmm. than the other one and it's impossible not to compare these two because there's there there's so much to have in common and like a month apart too so it's they're relatively right uh in a, our focus right now too. yep yep okay cool well i'm glad you liked it uh i think that'll definitely be popping up on my top 10 mm-hmm. cool all right so we've got one more <laughs> one more review we're gonna do here and uh again this is this is now we're getting into the uh the segment of the podcast that is the uh taking advantage of the fact that Zach and Todd are not here because uh, we're going to, we're going to do a review that they would not want to review. And then we're going to talk <laughs> and then we're going to just kind of geek out for a while and talk some baseball, which definitely wouldn't happen. Uh, so we're going to talk about WandaVision. So what's a single gal like-
like you doing rattling around this big house? Well, I assure you, I'm married to a man, a human one. One. What's it rain? And I sleep out of We are an unusual couple. Oh, I don't think that was ever in question. We just don't know what to expect. MCU TV show that debuted this weekend on Disney Plus. The first two episodes of, I think it's an eight episode run that they have planned, eight or nine episodes. Um, the first, it looks like nine episodes. Uh, and from now on, there'll be one debuting every Friday uh, from now until March 5th. Uh, but the first two episodes came out. This is the first MCU material we've had in a year and a half since Far From Home came out. In July of 2019, we were supposed to have Black Widow at this point. We were supposed, I think we were even supposed to have the Eternals at this point. The Eternals, uh, yeah. And, uh, but those are, are supposed to be coming out in 2021. We'll see if that happens. Um, but uh, anyways, Adam, I'm going to let you kind of introduce WandaVision, if you even can. Uh, <laughs> and tell us, what, <laughs> tell us what you thought of these first two episodes and, and what you think is going on here. Okay, so I know that some people in my circle of YouTube and on Twitter and stuff like they have act Disney actually gave them the first three episodes of this Ooh. show. So I heard, I haven't heard what, but the third episode is supposed to be like awesome. Is that is that where it, everything turns? That's where everything turns. Okay, okay, <laughs> yeah. So the first two episodes, it's really a kind of interesting. This, and trying to understand what's happening because you really don't know. And I had no idea. Even in the first episode when it's all black and white and it's very like I'm assuming it was filmed on a live studio audience. I think I remember hearing something like that. And uh, seeing that, you know, Vision and Wit uh, Wanda or Scarlet Witch in this uh, different versions of old classic tv shows like i got i love lucy vibes not not i'm a bewitched vibe that's what i meant mm, bewitched yeah. especially that a little i dream of genie i dream of genie that's what it is that's better better uh but bewitched kind of had the opening of the second episode had the bewitched kind of yep, opening yep. yeah so a lot of those vibes here and this is definitely a comedy and it, it, there's a lot of funny moments, but at the same time, a lot of the jokes necessarily didn't hit for me because I'm trying to figure out what is actually happening. And like, yeah, you know, but Paul Bettany is really good in this. Like, he's super funny. I, lo I loved Elizabeth Olsen as uh, Wanda. She's definitely grown in the MCU quite a bit since Age of Ultron, which they both made appearances in Age of Ultron. That's when they first came into the MCU. 
officially as characters. I was going to say, Paul Bettany's voice has been in it since the beginning. Yeah, but as Vision, yeah. that's where he first appeared. So, But this is very interesting. Especially, I like the second episode a lot. The whole uh, the magic elements definitely come into play, and you definitely see where that's where the MCU is going to definitely be going. And if you you'd kind of need to watch this show to understand what Doctor Strange 2 is going to be happening, because Scarlet Witch is going to be in that movie. And Paul uh, Kevin Feige said that this show ties in to Doctor Strange 2. And uh, I, I won't go into too much of the nerding. We're talking about the episodes now. We'll talk about that in the back end in a second. Uh, but I, I, I enjoyed this. I enjoy. It. I'm really wondering what's going to happen next. Uh, we, my daughter and my wife and I, were big Marvel fans, and we just had a lot of fun with this. And when the the world changed to color, we're going to get a different type of TV show. Uh, I would assume for next week's episode. And the the tease is that the first episode and the second episode, we're kind of like, oh, what's going to happen next? Especially when they pull out, and it's like it's clearly somebody making Scarlet Witch think these things. So yeah, yeah. that's where I'll that's where I'll leave it. Yeah, it's so. it's definitely like that that homage to fifties, sixties sitcoms right now, which I I kind of love. I I love how MCU has so much crap coming out right now. Right? They they <laughs> they put out like that whole thing is like. Here is the whole plan of everything that's going to come out in the next five years, and it is ridiculous the amount of content we're getting. However, at the same time, this is like the most original thing that they've ever done. And it's such a step out of doing something so different, um, and yet at the same time, you don't know what's going on, right? You have yeah, no yeah, idea exactly. what's going on. But if you just sit back and enjoy it, like at first, you're like, okay, this is kind of weird and then after like five minutes of it's like all right i'm just gonna sit back and enjoy a quirky goofy sitcom and then you just get these little moments of like okay there's there's something else going on here (laughs) and we don't know what it is but uh it sounds like we might find out soon but i i'm really in i'm really intrigued by it it has me fascinated and Mm -hmm. um and and these first two episodes i mean you could like talk about like just something that's very digestible you could put these on at any time and just enjoy the the kookiness of it just like just like you would i dream of genie or bewitched or any of those i love lucy old old sitcoms you really feel like elizabeth olsen is kind of channeling uh uh lucille ball a little bit there in in her performance Mm-hmm. And uh, and Paul Bettany's almost—it's like Lucille Ball and uh, Hugh Grant made a sitcom together, and that's <laughs> that's the vibe you're getting from WandaVision right now. But uh, they're they they're they're great. Uh, it's always great to see Catherine Hahn, um, who who pops up, and she's the perfect you know nutty neighbor '50s sitcom person. And no, I'm I'm loving it, and I'm loving the fact that it is so di- like you don't. It's MCU, sure, but it's not anything that you would expect from from what you've seen in the movies, which I love. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And I think that a lot of the characters that we, we have MCU get main movies for, I don't think Scarlet Witch or Vision necessarily need to have their own movie. I think the best way to tell their stories, because they're minor characters, is in this format. And it's got me intrigued. I In the world of binging stuff, it's it's going to be tough to wait every <laughs> single week. Uh, I think, especially this show, and 
I guess I've been doing that with The Mandalorian, and I really like that show, and I think the weekly format for that is great. But for this one, it's I'm I kind of was like I have no idea what's going to happen. I have a week of speculation now, and I, I've also watched like the Amazon sh- a series The Boys, which is another superhero related oh, uh, show. Watch that one. Uh, don't watch that with kids, by the way. I, I know that, that much. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I didn't. I did not know that. We just my wife and I started playing it, and it was like, whoa! First five minutes, so I was like, whoa, that's crazy. Luckily, my daughter wasn't involved. Anyway, back to this one. Uh, I liked. I, I really enjoyed it. There was a lot of little Easter eggs they put in there that tie into the bigger picture of things, and I'm just. It's got me really intrigued, and this is definitely by far one of the most unique things they have done. I mean, even down to the fake uh, commercials they have halfway through the episode. Like that the, ties into Stark Industries. Yeah, as yeah, well. the Stark Industries commercial. It's it's uh, it's great. It's great, and yeah, I'm I'm super excited to see where this takes it. Uh, I was skeptical, but as soon as it started, I'm like, okay, this is different enough that it's going to be awesome, and and I'm really mm-hmm. excited to see where it goes from here. Uh, so there's a couple other things that I I've, I've noticed. I'm watching, looking on the Easter eggs right now on some of the website, like the helicopter that they there was a helicopter in a little toy helicopter whatever and kind of a pleasantville type of moment yeah. in the episode uh, that had like the little emblem on the health of the sword of sword which is the uh kind of the space base that we saw in the end credit sequence of spider-man far from home that uh sam jackson our nick fury is oh, in right okay so it's not shield anymore it's sword so for the the extra barrier around earth in the galaxy so uh that's that was there Apparently they tied into some like episode like Captain America Winter Soldier with like a watch that from Strucker, which is one of the guys who created Scarlet Witch. Uh, oh yeah, and it had the Hydra logo on it. The Hydra, yeah. Uh, the Sword Beekeeper, which that's kind of like the uh, the ending shot. A lot of people are saying it's uh, this organization called AIM, which might tie into Modok, which is a kind of a supervillain computer, supervillain computer, but it's like a giant guy like sitting in a chair with a big computer screen face it's it's really i'm not sure the abbreviation for it but that's a lot of interesting things like what, what's going to happen especially if it ties into dr strange that's going to be very interesting yeah well and, and dr strange 2 is supposed to be like a horror film, right because it's multiverse of madness more or less yeah i would i i'm not sure exactly what they're tying into but i know dr strange is supposed to appear as well in spider-man the third one because they're doing, oh, yeah. they're doing, they're doing full fledged and Spider Man three or whatever the Tom Holland one. They're doing full fledged Spider Verse. Oh right yeah, because they got they got Tobey Maguire coming back. They got Andrew Garfield coming back. Kristen Dunst is officially Kristen, in there. Okay. Jamie Jamie Fox is in there as Electro from Amazing Spider Man two. <sighs> uh, Doc Doc Ock is in there. Right, Alfred Molina right. is in there. Uh, I think Willem Dafoe, Green Goblin. I think and uh, what's his name, Charlie Cox. Uh, just wrapped his filming up and he was Netflix's daredevil. Like he's in that movie. (laughs) So I'm like, that's, that's actually pretty smart because they actually did a lot of team ups and he, like he's a lawyer, which Spider-Man not might not, or might need as well. So there's a lot of things that are going to happen. I'm like, I'm very um, excited for the spider one man movie a lot more than I originally was. But anyway, yeah, MCU is back and, uh, Hopefully, and, and now we're gonna have an uh, best, um, an Oscar-nominated director officially directing Eternals. <laughs> She's right, that right. Tag. As, soon, as yeah. soon as Chloe Zhao gets gets the uh, gets the nomination yeah, for uh, Nomadland, which is pretty assured at this point, I think. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Cool. So, All right. Yeah. 
So that's <laughs> that's our little MCU deep dive there. Uh, check out WandaVision. It's on Disney Plus. First two episodes with a new episode debuting every Friday. Um, yeah. <laughs> all right. Okay. So now it's time for our our super geek out. If you're if you came here for movie content. Um, you could probably just turn it off now because we're going to be talking some baseball now. Uh, this time of year is, I mean, it's it's hot stove season. It's the off season. Uh, we're, we're getting news like DJ LeMayhew signing with the Yankees for six years, 90 million. Uh, we're getting uh, news Liam Hendricks to the White Sox. Francisco Lindor traded to the Mets. Uh, and then throughout all of this, one of my favorite parts of the off season is the vote for the Hall of Fame. And uh, I, I enjoy this vote for the Hall of Fame more than any other sport. And I think it's because of how, how much it's tracked, how much people kind of take it seriously, kind of maybe even to a fault how much they take it seriously, and, uh, and just how, how, uh, how much debate there is over how this works. They have like, I think they have more rules than anybody else. Uh, mm-hmm. so the way it, the way it works with the baseball hall of fame, the BBWAA baseball writers association of America votes on who gets into the hall of fame. You have to wait five years after you've been, uh, you've been, um, you've retired. been retired to get on the ballot. Uh, but not anybody gets on the ballot. You have to have, uh, had at least 10 years in the big leagues and, uh, have had a, 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 significant career whatever that means so for some people it's just it's just an honor to be able to get on the ballots like i made the hall of fame ballot that means i had a great baseball career and uh to in order to stay on the ballot you have to get at least five percent of the vote in order to get to the hall of fame you have to get at least 75 percent of the vote and you can be on the ballot for up to 10 years so one of my favorite parts about this is simply just going through the first time guys that are on the ballot and the guys who aren't going to make it any, any further than being on it for one year, but going like, Oh, Hey, I remember that guy. So here are the first time guys. And so what we're going to do is we are going to give what our ballots would be. If we had a vote for the hall of fame, we don't, we're not baseball writers. It would be great if we did have a vote, but we don't. But uh, we're going to we're going to go through who we're going to vote for debate a little bit there. So here's the first time, guys, and I'll go through the whole ballot. But here's the first time, guys. And I, I just love it, it. It's it's so much fun. So the first time, guys, we've got um, uh, let's see here. We've got Mark Burley, Tim Hudson, uh, Tori Hunter, Dan Heron, Aramis Ramirez, ba- Barry Zito, Shane Victorino, the flying Hawaiian, AJ Burnett, Nick Swisher. Latroy Hawkins and Michael Kadire. First time on the ballot. Now, here are the returning guys. Uh, I'll start from the bottom and work my way up. So you've got Bobby Abreu, second year on the ballot. He barely stayed on with 5.5%. Andy Pettit's in his third year at 11.3% last year. Sammy Sosa, ninth year, 13.9%. I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about him um, here in a sec. Andrew Jones is in his fourth year at 19.4%. Jeff Kent is in his eighth year at 27.5%. Manny Ramirez is in his fifth year at 28.2%. Todd Helton's in his third year. Last year, he got 29.2%. Gary Sheffield's in his seventh year. Last year, he got 30.5%. 
Billy Wagner is in his sixth year, got 31.7% last year. Scott Rowland is in his fourth year. He got 35.3% last year. Omar Vizquel is in his fourth year. He got 52.6% last year. And then the, the top three closest, you've got Barry Bonds, uh, ninth year on the ballot, 60.7%. Roger Clemens, ninth year on the ballot, 61%. And Kurt Schilling, ninth year on the ballot, 70%. So you've got some guys who are getting close to falling off the ballot. You've got some guys that are getting really close to getting in. You've got a lot of guys that have had Hall of Fame careers that are still on the ballot for a variety of different reasons, um, whether it be uh, kind of, you know, personal conduct things like Kurt Schilling or it be steroid era stuff like Clemens and Bonds and Sheffield and uh, Sosa and uh, and those guys, Manny Ramirez, too. So uh, we're going to kind of go through who we would vote for. And then, uh, and then go uh, have our have our debate and our deep dive on on baseball through that. So, question for you: Yes, first. how do what's your take on the the steroid stuff? Because there's Andy Pettit as well. Oh yeah, Andy Pettit as well. That's right. Um, it's I don't know. It, it I kind of go back and forth. So usually I end up writing an article about this for the for the website every year. I don't think I got around to writing one last year. I'm glad we're able to talk about it, though. Um, I would say what I normally go with is if they tested positive, I'm not going to vote for it. And that, that's kind of where I'm at now. Um, okay. There's there's enough guys that that deserve a vote and deserve more looks. than um, And part of the problem has been the ballot has been so congested because everyone is so confused on what to do with these guys that some people have fallen off the ballot in the last few years that should have had more consideration, but they didn't get the votes because people had to vote for Bonds and Clemens and and these guys, even though we don't know what is ever going to happen with them. So I'm, I'm thinking guys like, like Jim Edmonds. Jim Edmonds, I feel, is a Hall of Famer, or at least deserves yeah. more consideration. He fell off the ballot Fredman. in the first year. Fred McGriff was another one that fell off. And he was on for the full 10 years and just barely didn't get in. Um, yeah. Yeah. So you've got, you've got a lot of guys that don't even get decent consideration because of the, the steroid guys on the list. Now the ones that didn't test positive that have these suspicion, I don't know. Um, like Bonds and Clemens, I, I've said in the past, I voted for them. This year, I'm actually not. They're not on my ballot. So the thing with your ballot, you can vote for zero, and you can vote for up to ten. Uh, you can't go over ten, and you can vote for anywhere in between. Some people vote for one. Some people vote for zero. Some people vote for six. Some people vote for ten. I'm voting for ten, and I'm not voting for those two. And uh, the the reason is, do I think they're Hall of Famers? Yes. Do I think they belong in the Hall of Fame? Yes. If they, Do I think they took steroids? Yes. Do I care? It wasn't illegal then. Like, it, it may have been against the law, but it wasn't against the rules of baseball. It was almost encouraged, and I feel like it's ridiculous that these guys are vilified for just simply doing what everyone else was doing. I think all of them, Clemens, Bond, Sosa, McGuire, all of those guys belong in the Hall of Fame. They had Hall of Fame careers, and... 
Just like you say there was the dead ball era, just like you say um, that, you, you know, you have different eras of baseball. You have the steroid era, and these guys were a part of it, and you have no idea who did and who didn't because yeah. you weren't testing for it. So just let them in. Um, okay. I think eventually so, they all will be in, but yeah. And Sosa McGuire saved baseball. Like, oh, did, yeah. Did we not forget about the rider strike? Or not the rider strike. That's that's a different uh, way. The play, like we had a strike in like what 93, 94 ish. Yeah, ninety four. We had the player strike then, and so it's like no one was watching games until these guys were hitting bombs. Like freaking pandemic yeah. didn't cancel the World Series, but hey, a, a players strike did in nineteen ninety four. Yeah, yeah, and that's the expo expos could have like that expos team was like the best in baseball could have won a World Series as an expo, and that would probably kept the baseball in Canada. Who, there's so many what ifs back then, but and, and the yeah, and the I, narrative is in '98 you had Sosa McGuire, you know McGuire hit 70, Sosa hit 66. And the narrative is Barry Bonds had an amazing season that year too. He had like a 40 40 season, 40 homers, 40 stolen bases, and he saw that nobody cared because everyone was watching him hit homers and like, but they're juiced. Well, let me show let it. me show you what I can do if I juice. And three years later, he hit 73, and um. And so, uh, I mean, that's kind of the narrative, and, but nobody cared at that point. Nobody cared. I mean, that you even have, I remember hearing when all this came out, I remember hearing Mike Schmidt, Hall of Fame third baseman Mike Schmidt said, if this was available while I was playing, I would have taken steroids, but it wasn't. <laughs> and and I, I, I feel like it's so stupid that you have, you have like acceptable forms of cheating in baseball. Um, <laughs> and like, like everyone's like, oh, Gaylord Perry. He threw the spitter every time he threw the ball, but you know that that was Gaylord Perry, you know, Hall of Fame <laughs> pitcher. And, oh, and Ty Cobb, he slid into third base with his cleats up every time, threw dirt in the face of the of the player. But you know that that's baseball. That's how that's how the game's played. Some guys just play it dirty. But oh no, you can't you can't you can't take steroids. No, that that cheating is not okay. There's, yeah. I, I think it, I think it's so hypocritical to say that some forms of cheating are okay and some aren't. Um, mm -hmm. And, and again, it wasn't against the rules. When Gaylord Perry <laughs> threw a spitball, it was against the rules, and he did it anyways, and he's a Hall of Famer. And, and no one, no one tested for it. Nobody cared. Everyone was doing it. So just let him in. That's my take. Yeah. Good call. Now, the reason I'm not voting for him though, is they've got one more year on the ballot. I wanted to vote for some of the first-time guys that have a shot that might fall off the ballot if they don't get some votes. So uh, they deserve some more recognition. They deserve some more discussion. And if you pay attention to any of the discussions around it, these writers continue to dig into the stats year after year. And every year, the votes go up. Like, if you make the first ballot, there's a good chance you're going to be on the ballot for a few years. And every year... You're going to be a part of this conversation of what's going to happen, um, and and are you worthy of being there? But if you fall off on the first year, you're, you're the conversation's over. So um, so anyways, I'm. You want to go through yours first? Or you want me to go through mine? Or you want to go uh, pick one, pick two, pick Ooh, three? Ooh, let's do that. Let's go one at a time. Let's go one at a time. So uh, okay. you you take a pick first. All right. Do you want to start with uh, first year guys first? Uh, let's whatever. start with um, let's start with the longest on the ballot first. All right. Well, I'm voting Kurt Schilling. 
Okay. Uh, his mouth might not get him in, but he's the, definitely the closest one with 70%. So he needs 5% more of the vote. I feel like it, it, it's either going to be he's getting in this year or he's getting in next year. But I also feel that for Clemens or Bonds, like next year is going to be the year they have the best chance of getting in. Uh, Schilling is probably going to be the big headliner this year because he has he's the closest without having a huge amount, like a huge jump. Obviously, we know him for the Bloody Sock. For the Red Sox, I remember watching that on TV, staying up late, seeing them beat the Yankees, going to the World Series. Um, he has those Diamondbacks years. He became a super. He was a great pitcher with Philadelphia. Uh, you know, we we know he like he was not a good pitcher when he was with Baltimore when he first started. But then he goes to Arizona, become pitches alongside the big two with Randy Johnson and Schilling, and then goes to with the Red Sox. And his mouth is what's going to get him in trouble. If if they if the writers can't get over the fact of things he said, it's kind of like can you judge the person by what they their their art not the person behind the art and in a sense of like we're talking about like movie stuff too. That's kind of the same thing. If can you watch an old movie with somebody who's done something wrong off camera, he said stuff on camera, but he didn't do, you know, he was a great player on the field too. So I'm going to go Kurt Schilling for my first pick. Yeah. That that's, gonna, that's the first one I have too. Um, and, and the same thing that you're, that you're saying, he, he had a hall of fame career. Uh, and yeah. if it wasn't for, uh, how opinionated he is, how, uh, how much he is completely willing to offend anybody with the with the way he talks about different things. If it wasn't for that, he'd be in the Hall of Fame already. But the whole yeah, knock on him is uh, is does he have the character of a Hall of Fame? Which <laughs> uh, and I don't think that necessarily is. I mean, it's not like he's a criminal or anything. He just is very opinionated. In a ver with a very unpopular opinion, and he's gonna let you know it, and he's going to make fun of you if you disagree, and um, and I and let's let's just say it, it's it's all mainly political that that's been getting him in trouble with this. So, at the same time, like you said, everything you said is right. He had a Hall of Fame career. He was an amazing pitcher, and from everything from the Bloody Sock, um. World Series co-MVP with Randy Johnson when they beat the took down the mighty Yankees in 2001. The Philadelphia the Philadelphia years, years, yeah, when he he made the World Series with them in 93. I mean, he he was a dominant like top 10 pitcher for over a decade in the league. That gets you in the Hall of Fame. It should. And uh and so yeah, that's my that's my first first uh, guy on my ballot too. Yeah. All right. So that's my first. So what? What? Who do you have next? Well, I was going when I was writing. I just did the went from the top to the bottom. Uh, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna. I'm gonna drop down to the bottom here just go to like, give something different. I'm gonna vote to keep at least keep him on the ballot. Tory Hunter. Uh, Tory Hunter might not like the hitting stats. You know, we're seeing almost 2,500 hits. You know, the hits might not. They might hold that against him. He has 353 home runs, almost 1,400 RBIs. He's still batting 270. But if you think about like what he did for the game, for uh, for defense, for Minnesota, he was a great personality. He he kind of embodied like the good guy in baseball for a long time. Like he always had a smile on his face. He was kind of like the, he was the guy after Griffey, basically. He's one of the best defenders in baseball. Obviously, we we talked about Bonds a little bit. That catch in the All Star game, robbing Bonds of a home run right next to Ichiro. 
great thing. Uh, there was a conspiracy theory that that catch actually changed baseball for the, the, the all-star games. There's a YouTube clip about that. But uh, Torrey Hunter, stats might not get him there, but I want to at least see him on another year. I, I would give him a vote there because just everything he did embodied in baseball. Yeah, and I, I, I have him on my ballot too. And the uh, if he stays, it's going to be because of his defense. And it's going to be it's a true test of how much does defense matter. Because looking... I mean, he's got some decent counting stats with the with the hitting, like you said, almost 2,500 hits, 350 home runs, almost 1,400 RBIs. But then you look a little bit deeper, he's got a 110 OPS plus for his career. 100 is average. He is, yeah. He's got the third lowest OPS plus on the Hall of Fame ballot this year, ahead of only Shane Victorino and Omar Vizquel. Um, so he, he was a barely above average hitter for his career. Now, that's not how I remember him, though. I remember him yeah. as much better than that. I remember him for all his, all of his gold gloves. Um, and I remember him as, as simply being one of the one of the great leaders of the game for who for his entire career. How long did he he played for nineteen years as a as a glove outfielder that hit three hundred and fifty home runs. I mean that that alone I, I feel like he deserves consideration, and I think he is there. There's he's probably got the best shot of staying on the ballot of any of the first time guys. And and this is a really interesting year because it's the first year in a while that there hasn't been like a surefire first ballot Hall of Famer in the uh, in uh, in the first time guys. Like last year, last year Jeter. Obviously, making the Hall of Fame. The year before, you had Mariano Rivera and Roy Holiday make the Hall of Fame as first-time guys. The year before, Chipper Jones and Jim Tomei, first-time guys, made the Hall of Fame. The year before, you had uh, Pudge Rodriguez make the Hall of Fame, first-time guy. Um, you And uh, before that, I think, was Griffey. Uh, Griffey and Piazza. Oh, Piazza was on his fourth year on the ballot, but Griffey, first-time guy on the ballot. So you've had, for, the, for years, you've had these these first time guys and the, this just loaded class coming into the, coming into it. And, and you've had these huge classes too, where um, you had two guys in 2016, you had three in 2017, you had four in 2018, you had four in 2019. I think four is the highest, the largest class they've ever had, or they've had in a really, really long time. And there's no surefire guys. And Torrey Hunter's like the one I think that has the best chance of staying on the ballot. Yeah. All right. Uh, yeah, take another one. We'll see if we both have them. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, dang it. Okay, then that OBS plus, I'm just looking at that now. It's like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> it's like, dang, that's uh that is a little. But yeah, I I think he's has the best one of the better shots to do. I'm going to go up. You mentioned him already, Omar Fiskel, uh light hitting guy, of course. But again, how much does defense matter? He, he has 52% of the vote. He's on his fourth year, so that's pretty good. He has room to grow there. He almost has 3,000 hits. I think if yeah, I feel like if he had 3,000 hits, he has a really great shot. Really great shot. He had almost 1,000 RBIs there. He's walked. He's a guy who walks. He's great defensive. He's a defensive wizard, 270 hitter. But again, how much does defense matter? He would go in as a Cleveland Indian, too. Yeah, that he would. Um, three-time All-Star, 11-time Gold Glove winner at shortstop. 11 times. He played for 24 seasons. 
Um, and and that's one of the things that some people are saying about him. The only reason he's he's that close to three thousand hits is because he, he played, played for twenty four seasons. I mean, it's kind of like oh, Jamie Moyer almost got three hundred wins. Yeah, but Jamie Moyer played till he was literally fifty. Um, <laughs> so uh, same thing with Omar Vizquel. He played forever. I mean, yeah, he almost had had three thousand hits, but. 272 career batting average, not great. He's uh, OPS plus under 100. He was a below average hitter for his career, apparently. Yeah. Um, but I have him on my ballot too. Um, yeah. I, th- I think he, I think he's, a, he is a, a poor man's Ozzy Smith. Ozzy Smith made the ballot in, in his first time on the ballot back when he uh, got into the Hall of Fame. But Ozzy wasn't known for his bat either. No, that's why I'm saying he, he's, he's just like Ozzy Smith. But Ozzy Smith uh, was a little bit better of a hitter, and so he was a first ballot guy. I think Omar Vizquel is like top two or three greatest defensive shortstop of all time, and that's like the position where defense is one of is like the most important. Um, and again, he's got some. It'll be interesting to see what happens. He's got some personal stuff that's been coming up recently that might be taking some points, some votes away from him this year as things. Legal matters are pending on him, so I, I hope he makes it in. It, I mean, as a former Mariner, it would be great to see him in the Hall of Fame. I voted yeah, for him, exactly. too. All right. Okay. Let's go back to kind of a conversation we've had earlier with a guy who got in trouble for his opinions. I'm going to go with Jeff Kent on this one. Ah, Jeff Kent. I love this the, the debate with Jeff Kent. Yes, uh, basically one of the best hitting second basemen of all time. Has an OPS plus of 123, so by far the best one we've talked about so far. You know, almost 400 home runs, over 1,500 RBIs. His hits, almost 2,500. So really great statistics here. Pretty solid glove. He was the guy who basically helped Barry Bonds get into the World Series uh, and also the Astros into the World Series for that matter as well. Uh, not Barry Bonds in the end with the Astros, but uh, he clashed with Barry Bonds. I don't think that was anything to write. We obviously know that kind of drama with him and Bonds, and that was really uh, – he was not a great teammate, I guess, in a lot of people's minds. So that's what's really holding him back. But statistically, looking at stats, I think he belongs for one of the better second-hitting second basemen of all time. And, yeah, he's just uh, – yeah, he would go – I don't know, Giants, Astros, you could throw him in there as – which hat does he wear, but uh, – I think it would be the Giants, and I don't know <laughs> if he would like that. But <laughs> oh yeah, he Jeff he would Kent. definitely be a Giant. He would definitely be a Giant. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he is number one in home runs all time for second baseman. I mean, how does that not make how does that not make the Hall of Fame? Um, he in the middle of Barry Bonds's insane run. I mean, he hit seventy three in two thousand one. What happened the year before? Oh, Jeff Kent won the NL MVP. Yeah. So you have you so you have two MVPs on that team, and then two thousand two, the two of them lead the like you said, lead the Giants to the to the uh, World Series. Uh, he is, I think he's more remembered for like you said for clashing with Barry Bonds. He's remembered for lying about an injury where he hurt his shoulder. He said he fell off a ladder washing his truck when he was riding his motorcycle. I think that yeah. was that's another that's, thing that's, that's true. yeah. Why is he being remembered for that crap and not for the amazing player he was? He deserves to be in the Hall of Fame, and it is a joke 
that he's in his eighth year on the ballot and only barely has a quarter of the people voting for him. I I hope that with it being such a light year on first time guys, he picks up a ton of votes this year. Because he, he's a Hall of Famer. He's only got three yeah. years left. He needs to he needs a jump. He needs to get in the Hall of Fame. He deserves it. Yeah, it's, that's it's crazy how he's not getting love. It, it's it's like it's like he's one of the guys that they decide to make all the excuses for. It's funny how the narratives play out. Like like it's it they they decide oh no we we have to we have to come up with all the excuses of why not to vote for Jeff Kent when they find all the excuses to vote for other guys. I, he obviously he's on my ballot too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. So pick another one. We'll see. We'll see how how this goes. All right. Talk about another excuse for the narrative. I have Todd Helton of the Colorado Rockies. Yes. It's the Coors effect. He only did that well well because of Coors. They say the same thing about Nolan Arenado, but he can hit outside of Coors Field as well. And this guy, he had more hits than Jeff Kent. 2,500 hits. Home runs, a little bit more. 369 hits, 1,400 RBIs. He didn't have the RBIs. He's batting 316 with an OPS plus of 133. Uh, as far as I know, had no steroid talk, nothing like that. Clean player, hardworking. He made the World Series in, I believe, 20, 2007 uh, with the Rockies against the Red Sox. They lost that one. Uh, but Todd Helton, I I remember him as being one of the most dominant first basemen of that of his, like of his time. Like I remember him like basically being the only guy on the Colorado Rockies that could play. <laughs> uh, you obviously had guy every once in a while have like a Preston Wilson show up, like had lead the league in RBIs or Vinny Castilla Stia or something like that, you know. But Todd Helton was the guy in Colorado, even when they were horrible. He still delivered. He still batted three over three hundred. For me, who cares about the course effect? It's a, a ball. You built the ballpark there. Why are you holding that against him? Yeah, uh, five time All Star, three time Gold Glove winner. I mean, he was yeah, known for his bat, but too. he was a three time Gold Glove winner, four time Silver Slugger. At first base, um, and a won a batting position. title. Yeah, and I, I agree. It, it's ridiculous that he's not getting more love. Um, I mean, he wasn't Third year in the ballot though. He wasn't a Third year. Pa- yeah. He's got he's got some time. He wasn't much of a power hitter. I think last year uh, Larry Walker finally got in, which is going to do well for for Todd Helton. Uh, but yeah, you said one thirty three OPS plus. OPS plus takes into account uh, your uh, your ballpark. Yeah. And and still 133. He's fourth on the ballot in OPS plus behind steroids Barry Bonds, steroids Manny Ramirez, and Gary Sheffield. Those are the only guys on the ballot that are above him in OPS plus. And um, and yet he was a, a stellar defender at first base. He was a he was a solid athlete too. I don't know if you know this, but he was uh, Peyton Manning's backup quarterback at uh, backup, University yeah, of Tennessee. Yeah. yeah, he was he was a great player. He for a decade he you knew he was like the professional hitter in baseball mm-hmm. right I'm, I'm trying to think of of who who would you say is like the professional hitter of baseball right i'm trying to even, like he, he was like oh a professional hitter in like, baseball. i don't even know like you could say like dj lemay or someone like that just just no, one of those I, but better than that he, he was just like that quiet guy who would hit over 300 every year paul goldsmith Paul, yeah of, yeah that's not a bad that's not a bad one Gold, Goldie's got a little more, a uh, little more power, but uh, but yeah, uh, he, 
it's again, yeah, that Coors effect. I I hate that. I, if if you're gonna say that he doesn't belong in the Hall of Fame because he hit in Coors, I mean, I want to see the uh, the Hall of Fame um, argument for Ubaldo Jimenez and why he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame because he had mediocre stats <laughs> for pitching in Coors. So uh, let, let's let's play that game both ways, but they're not going to. Oh, I don't want to see anybody's Hall of Fame case for New Yankee Stadium or anything like that for players who right, played there. Right. No, but that's iconic. Oh yeah, it's it's, it's New York. Yeah, so it, it doesn't it's, matter. It, yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah, he's on my ballot too. All right, we're halfway there. Do you have ten or do you have a? Uh... I I I went ten. You I just ten. went ten. Okay. All right. So who else do you got? Well. Let's see if we have. All right. That, uh... I, hopefully, I want to try to switch it up here. I'm going to go with first time guy. I, don't, I Aramis Ramirez. Oh, okay. okay. Just to keep him on the ballot, not going to make the Hall of Fame, I don't think. But Aramis Ramirez, if you think about this guy, he got traded along with Rondell Simon, Simon uh, and I, I can't remember the other guy, Randall Simon, to the Cubs for the Pirates, okay? And no one, I had no idea. I was following baseball at this time. And this is when the Cubs were making that run for the World Series. With, they got the fan with Moses, Moises Alou and everything. But Aramis really kind of stepped into his own as a batter, hitter, too. His stats are pretty comparable. He's played. He played 18 years, so again, he had a lot of years, but maybe the stats don't really back him up. But uh, you know, 386 home runs, 1400 RBIs, an OPS plus of 115, a little lower there, with a 283 batting average. Um, you know, he he was known for his defense, but he was a he's a powerful hitter during that that era too. And being on the Cubs and the Brewers, that's where he's really going to be known for. Probably doesn't have a shot to being on any more than one year, but I'm gonna put, pick a Ramos Ramirez as the guy because uh, who knows? Maybe there's some Chicago fan, Chicago Cub fans remembered that he helped him get him there. So, but in case Derek Lee also did, and he didn't last that much <laughs> on the ballot either. Yeah, uh, that this one is one I do not have on my ballot, but I I I was a fan of ours, Armis Ramirez. He was kind of he was a quiet a quiet power guy and a quiet just weapon in a lineup. I will say, looking at his uh, baseball reference page, it looks like he never was in a trade with Randall Simon, though. It wasn't Randall Simon. No, oh, it, it was a dip. No, they they picked. I think Randall Simon was picked. Because I remember his quirky batting. I don't know. So it says it, uh, in 2003, he was traded by the Pirates with Kenny Lofton to the Cubs. Kenny Lofton for okay, uh, Randall Simon. for a couple guys that I don't think did anything. And, no, yeah, I don't was think a... either of them did anything. Anyways, but yeah, I'll find out the Randall Simon because I think he was on the same team with the Cubs that the 2003, it's, it's right? Po- yeah, it's possible. I remember Randall Simon, but uh, he he was not uh, he was not a part of the trade. Oh, he was yeah, it was a different trade. They still played on the same team in 2003. They were the Pirates together, and they got traded to the Cubs. So it probably was two different trades. That oh, that could be because he he was on the same team and the, with the Cubs and the Pirates. All right, we're looking this up. So okay. Deep diving around the side. I remember here. that. <laughs> no other podcast. No other this, podcast <laughs> about movies is going to deep dive Randall Simon. Um, yeah, it, yeah. Just trade. It looks like it was just a different transaction traded traded to the Cubs. Wow. Hey. Wow. There's that. There we go. Randall Simon. All right. Not a Hall of Famer. All right. Well, that's one that I don't have. So let's. Uh, so that means I get to pick one to talk about. Uh, and let's see here. The one I'm going to talk about is Scott Rowland. I'm voting ah, for Scott Rowland. Uh, he is, he's one of those guys 
who I think if he didn't end his career with so many injuries, he'd yeah. be remembered so much better. But playing the hot corner, uh, seven-time All-Star, eight-time Gold Glove winner at third base. Um, he was he had a 122 OPS plus, hit over 300 home runs. Uh, his uh, overall career WAR was a 70.1, which puts him fourth on the ballot. Only behind Bonds, Clemens, and Schilling. Those are the wow. only guys that had a that that had a better run, um, and uh, and that takes into account defense and all that hmm. stuff. He is probably the best defensive third baseman of his generation of the nineties, nineties uh, and two thousands. Uh, and yeah, I think if if he just was able to stay healthy for the last few years of his career. He'd be remembered a lot better, but even with that, he was a solid dude. I mean, he he was he he was he was worth. Now, at the same time, he was only in the top five in MVP voting once in his career, and that was in two thousand four. So he never really hit those hit those heights in that way. Um, but his, I mean, being the he's almost like a Brooks Robinson. I feel an mm-hmm. insane glove, solid bat, played for a long time. I th- I think he he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Let's see. how many years? Uh, six. Hmm. Yeah. He who who what hat would he wear? The Phillies or the Cardinals? Because the Reds not really a case. No, there, what, but... it wouldn't be the Reds. Um. Pro- I'd say he'd either be the Cardinals or he would go without a logo. There's there's some guys that go without a logo. That makes sense. Yeah. He he has better stats with the Phillies, but he's also played there though by a couple years longer. Yeah, but yeah, that'd be a tough one. That'd be a tough one. Which that's one? A, that's, that's a tough one. But I had I had Scott Rowland too. He was my he was my third guy. Hey, so, yes, Scott Rowland. All right, definitely a good pick there. So I'm gonna go to uh, let's go to another one. I really want to talk about Andrew Jones. I'm voting for Andrew Jones. Uh, now Todd is the big Braves fan, but uh, you gotta love Andrew Jones for a lot of the same reasons. Center fielder, 10-time Gold Glove winner. 10-time Gold Glove winner in center, 5-time All-Star. Now, he's one where his career kind of fell off at the end. So you look at his counting stats, he still had 430 home runs. He had almost 2,000 hits, but his OPS is only 111. Um, But here's the crazy thing. He had had a 62.7 career war. That's 6th most on the on the ballot between behind Bonds, Clemens, Schilling, Roland, and Manny. His uh his uh war seven though, which is his it takes the uh best seven year stretch of a player's career. Um and that that puts him up to fifth. Um because yeah. he at his peak he was about as good as you could get. Yeah. Um and uh with the bat, with uh with the glove, uh one of the smoothest hitters out there um, I think he belongs in the hall of, in the hall of fame, uh, fourth year on the ballot. Uh, last year he got under 20% though. Um, he's another one that needs a big jump this year. This is the year for him to get a big jump. I think the big, uh, telling factor is how well Torrey Hunter does. Unfortunately, uh, Torrey Hunter had two more years on him, but the hits are like almost. Yeah. But he also had a hundred more home runs. 
Andrew Jones. Yeah, it's too. A, a, all the piss debates on. A, yeah, that it's tough, man. Like, yeah, their stats are so close. Obviously, the OPS plus is there. The are the batting average is a little high. I don't know. That's it, a tough one. Like, I want to see both those guys do great because I loved the Jones brothers and Javi Lopez with the Braves. Oh yeah. You know. Oh yeah. Yeah, you had Marcus Giles show up in there too. The, the Giles brothers for for a minute. <laughs> yeah, man, the Braves were so much fun to watch, and they had a lot of great hitters on that team. And fortunately, Chipper, oh, I'm glad Chipper made it, obviously. But uh, yeah, but yeah, Andrew Jones was a fun player to watch. You have him on yours. I did not. Oh, did not. okay, okay. Well, that means you. But, yeah, you get to put forth the next one we're going to talk about. All right, so I have uh, another Brave on my list and I'm going to go I'm going to vote because I remember this guy being a very good arm he had some injury bugs but he actually turned his like ending career of his around I'm going to go with Tim Hudson I would give very Tim Hudson nice. a vote very nice I've um, got him too okay so 222 wins to 133 losses with a 3.49 ERA uh, not the, you know, he was a very solid pitcher. Like he was known for the big three funny enough, but he has two other of his, um, two other, uh, arms that he's with the Oakland A's on this ballot too, with Barry Zito and, um, Dan Heron was also there, but I think Dan Heron was a little, he obviously was a little after cause Mark Mulder was the third guy in that, uh, that, the group. Uh, but Tim Hudson was definitely had the better career. Even at that time, Mark Mulder and Barry Zito overshadowed him on that staff, I think. But Tim Hudson definitely was the guy who had the much a longer run, a better run, and you know, 479 games started with over 3,100 um, innings pitched. You know, very solid career. I don't, unfortunately, I don't see how long he's going to be on the ballot. But out of pitchers, he's one of the better ones, considering. T- um, he doesn't have the allegations against him with like Andy Pettit does, so I would uh, he. Stat wise, I th- I would pick Tim Hudson. I would want Tim Hudson to pick play over Andy Pettit, even though Pettit had that you know that insane Yankees run. But Tim Hudson was a solid pitcher. I would I'm giving my vote. Yeah, I'm giving him a vote too. Uh, I don't know if he ever gets in, but I think he deserves more consideration than just one year. Uh, and so I've I've got him on my ballot. Um, he's actually one that. So like I said, I, I don't have Bonds and Clemens, and the reason I don't is so that I could vote for a guy like Tim Hudson and try and keep him on the ballot. Uh, looking at some of his comps, I love baseball reference and some of the some of the comps they do on here, but some of the comps that they, they give to him, Kevin Brown, Oral Hershiser, who is a Hall of Famer, yeah. Justin Verlander, yeah. who's going to be a Hall of Famer. Um, and then like looking at his uh, comps by age, a lot of a lot of the years, he was very comparable to like Roy Halladay, who is in the Hall of Fame. You see a lot of uh, a lot of Kevin Brown again, who didn't make it, but I I mean just that he, you knew he was going to go out there. He was going to give you his two hundred innings uh, every year, and uh, and be a great pitcher in the process. I mean, four time All Star, um, just a just a solid pitcher. He was almost won a Cy Young in two thousand his second year in the big leagues. He was top five in the Cy Young three times. Um, he, uh, yeah, just a, just a gamer too. Like he, he, you want a Tim Hudson on the mound. Like that's the type of guy you want to see on the mound pitching for you. And, uh, yeah, I, 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 I love Tim Hudson. 
and uh, it'd be great to see him in. I don't think he's going to get there. And like you said, uh, over 200 wins. I think 200 is a new 300 with the way the the pitching is going now. I, I think 200 is is enough to to at least be in consideration. Yeah, that is true. And he he was also like you said dominant for he was in the top you know what twenty arms in baseball for a while there at least even when he oh, got yeah. older. Oh yeah. I th- think another argument could be made for like Mark Burley too, because he was up there. He was always pitching. He was always getting his innings in. And um, but anyway, I think these guys yeah, that, that I, vote for nobody got to remember that you got to compare guys to their era and not compare guys to the Hall of Fame and your romanticized version of what they were when they played. Um, if a guy is if a guy is a top ten pitcher for a decade, he's a Hall of Famer. Who cares what the counting stats are? If he's a top 10 pitcher in the league for a decade, he's a Hall of Famer. Uh, yeah, he's not, you know, he's not, uh, he's not Sandy Koufax. Nobody's Sandy Koufax. Stop trying to compare them to these romanticized versions of guys that you have in your head. You know how many random dudes that nobody's ever heard of are in the Hall of Fame because they played in the 20s and 30s? Come on, start voting some guys into the Hall of Fame. All right, there's yeah. my spiel. All right, yeah, pick somebody well, else. Hopefully. All right, well, I'm going to go with Billy Wagner. Yes, I got him too. Yeah. Uh, so Billy Wagner, big old guy that I like to scared. I would be scared to face this guy. Slings that ball left-handed. He wasn't a, a left-handed pitcher to start off with, I believe. I think he natural, broke his right, right natural right-hander and taught himself yeah, he, to pitch lefty. Yeah, yeah he uh, broke his arm or something like that. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, that guy was scary. He, he would strike out a ton of guys. Phillies, Astros. You know, I remember that that world, like, when he was, like, playing against, like, Barry Bonds. Like, that was a, an awesome matchup. Like, people stopped when they, what they were doing to watch that when they, he uh, played him. Uh, but look at the stats, you know, 2.31 uh, ERA with 422 saves. This is another thing. You have to consider, like, when he was playing, saves were a big deal, or, or kind of a big deal. A lot of, They don't vote closers in. Lee Smith, the all-time saves leader for the longest time, you know, never got in until very recently. Merritt Rivera has changed things. Hoffman has changed things. we got to put Billy Wagner in there. He has 31% of the vote in six years. So I think he was he's trending upward, but very slowly. Um, I think they need to start focusing. Like he was a dominant pitcher for several years when he was playing play for 16 years. I, I like Billy Wagner. I'm going Billy Wagner. One of only six closers to have over 400 saves in his career. One of only two lefties to have that, uh, that distinction. Um, he had in his career as a closer, uh, two different years. He got MVP votes. Uh, yeah. Two different years, he finished in the top six in Cy Young. Um, he was as dominant as you got in uh, as a closer, and the fact that he was also a lefty closer, I think, makes him also unique. Uh, I, yeah, I don't. I, I think there's enough people out there that still have stigmas against closers. I mean, you look at the closers that are in the Hall of Fame. It's what Mariano Rivera, Lee Smith, Trevor Hoffman, Trevor Hoffman. I mean, Eckersley spent half his career as a starter, uh, yeah. and uh, that which I remember that was the argument that got him in. Well, he wasn't a full time closer. Uh, yeah, he 
Billy Wagner was as good as he got, um, and yet he wasn't Rivera. Yeah, nobody was Rivera. I mean, that almost didn't get Trevor Hoffman in the Hall of Fame. Put Billy <laughs> Wagner in the Hall of Fame. Come on. Okay. Yeah, come on. All right. So that that I think that's nine. We've we've done. So you've got one more on yours. I've got one more on mine. <sighs> And I'm not too. I don't know. Let me look at this real fast. I don't. All right, I'm gonna. I'll go I with was, mine. Go then. ahead. Or actually, I'll go with some of the guys I didn't vote for and talk about them a little bit. Um. So, um. I, I mentioned I would have voted for Bonds and Clemens. However, I'm not voting for Sosa. One of the reasons I'm not voting for Sosa is there's no way he's getting in, and it's not worth even attempting. He's on, in yep. his ninth year on the ballot. Thirteen percent of the vote. Um, so he's not, uh, you've got guys like Manny and Pettit who I'm not even considering because they've had a positive test and, uh, I don't think they'll ever get in Sheffield's an interesting case. I, there's rumors yeah, about that's, Sheffield, that's but I, I don't know. Um, he's one of those guys that played forever. And because of that, he got a lot of, a lot of, uh, I mean, he hit that 500 home run threshold that that's supposed to be money to get you in. I don't know. I I never thought of him as that dominant hitter. He was always good, but I felt like he never was great. Uh, maybe I'm just maybe my memory of Gary Sheffield is just a little foggy. Uh, but nine-time All-Star, he won a batting title apparently. Five-time Silver Slugger, uh, had a had a uh, had a World Series ring. Um, but and yeah, he finished in the top five in MVP three times in his career. So, mm -hmm. I mean, maybe I'm just remembering him wrong. Um, and one of them was when he was 35 years old. Wow, that's insane. He was runner-up for MVP in 2004 with the Yankees. Yeah, I remember that. Wow. Okay. That's when they had, like, they were like they were a tough team. Cause they, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Anyways, uh, but uh, I'm going to go with my last spot. I'll, I'll go with my last spot, and then you can figure out who you're going to go with. My last vote is going to Mark Burley. Yeah. Uh, talk about a professional pitcher. He's, I don't think he's ever going to get in, but he's another one of those. He deserves another another chance to, to be looked at, and uh, and so that's why I'm putting him in. The county stats aren't, aren't I mean, he's over the 200 win mark. He's got a 3.81 career ERA, played for 16 years. Um, I remember Mark Burley also as a great defensive pitcher, which is kind of something that gets overlooked a lot. Yeah. Um, he is, uh, let's see here, fourth among pitchers on the ballot in in uh, war behind Clemens, Schilling, and Pettit. Uh, he's got uh, a no-hitter under his belt. He won four gold gloves. Um, he was just, again, kind of like Tim Hudson, just a professional pitcher. You knew what you were going to get from him. He was going to be solid. He was never uh, necessarily what you would call dominant. He was only he only got Cy Young votes once in his career, and that was in 2005. He finished fifth. But you knew you were going to get good with him. Like he he mm -hmm. only let's see here. Twice, twice in his career, twice in his what was it? Did I say 16 year career? Did he finish with an ERA plus under a hundred? Only twice in his career was he below average, uh, and uh, and that that's insane. That that's insane, and that that kind of longevity I think deserves a, a better look. Yeah, yeah, Mark Burley is one I'm thinking too. Like that, uh, 
I wrote down Gary Sheffield, but again, it's like he has those allegations, like possible stuff on him. Uh, Mark Burley's not a bad shout. Uh, I thought, like, I remember I have some of the other guys that you're look, looking at, like, on this list. Like, Latroy Hawkins, not going to make the Hall of Fame, but, like, I have, like, I remember him being dominant, but they couldn't never get past the Yankees. He always struggled against them. He was just, like, a solid, like, bullpen arm. Like, Michael Goddyer. It like, was a bullpen arm for 21 years. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? He was just, like, there throwing, he was slinging it. Uh, Michael Goddyer was another guy that I, I remember being, like, a like him and Torrey Hunter. Like leading those Twins teams, he had like had like a, a batting title with the Rockies, like or, or close to it, you know. When he ended his career, like he was solid. Like there's a lot of solid. Shane Victorino, like leading the playing with the Red Sox and well, you, you got some Phillies. you got some pitchers on here too that have the, just those flashes of brilliance. Like AJ Burnett, there were there was oh, yeah. probably a two year three year period where he was the best pitcher in baseball. You could say the same thing about Barry Zito. You could say the same thing about Dan Heron. Um, yeah. but th- there just wasn't a longevity there. Yeah, because injuries for Burnett, like Burnett yeah. missed out in the World Series against uh, with uh, the Marlins because he was hurt. He missed the whole season. Like he would just he would be rolling, and then all of a sudden, like just blow out his arm. And it's like, oh gosh, this guy was so like, you know. I remember he had he had a no hitter where he had like eight walks, <laughs> but it was a no hitter. <laughs> I was. I think he also had one of the few uh, uh, starts to the opening of a game, nine pitches, three strikeouts. Like, yeah, immaculate like inning. Yeah, so, yeah, I'm gonna. I'll just go. I'll, I'll, I'll vote for Mark Burley. I think that's guy no hitter. That no hitter. I remember watching that game when he like the underneath the leg pass, like that Dwayne Wise defensive replacement. Yeah, like, coming in the catch of the wall, freaking just a fantastic game. So, got any? You know, yeah, Mark Burley. Give Mark Burley the vote. Perfect. Perfect. Okay. Uh, really quick, like the next couple of years, I don't see anybody being first time Hall of Famers. Ooh. Like next year, it's A Rod and David Ortiz are the two big names. Really question marks around those guys. Yeah. Tw- 2023, Carlos Beltran is the big one, but he's in the cheating scandal with the the, the Astros. Could have messed up his chances I first agree. time. We'll, we'll see how 2000- the next couple of years uh, write that narrative. Yeah. yeah. 2024 is Beltran, Maurer, and David Wright. Bel- so I think Beltran's all of them. Beltran. Bel- yeah, that's what I meant. Beltran, not Beltran. Yeah. Beltran. Beltran's first Adrian ballot. Beltran. Um, yeah, and then Ichiro is two twenty five. But what's funny is Baseball Reference puts Felix Hernandez on that same ballot, which I don't think he's retired yet. No, but he hasn't pitched yet. But uh, yeah, um, yeah, I could, I could see. I think Mauer makes it too. I think Mauer. Yeah, Mauer, I think Mauer he at least has it. a good shot at it. Yeah, um, being one of the best offensive catchers for a decade. Yeah. Okay. Agreed. Well, that was a fun deep dive there. That was yeah. that was good stuff. That was good stuff. Well, let's let's start to uh, wrap this up. I think you've got some trivia for me. Just one quick thing. One quick one thing, quick and then thing we're going to do our quote and uh, and uh, call it good. So, uh, what do we got? What do we got? Are you ready? Well, let's hope so. Oh, I forgot about this. John Boyd is a slap in the face. This is going downhill quick. Trivia. All right. So you guys, you do this to the guys all the time. So we had a movie called One Night in Miami. On our website, oh, Terry, <laughs> we have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve movies with the word one as the first word. Now I'm not counting the as being the first word. So it's you know. The so word so one the word the one, title. not uh, not the number one. 
Yeah, the word one. Okay. Just like one night in Miami. So. Okay. So on the website. Yeah, we have like 13 here. All right. So uh, the first one that popped into my head was one hour photo. Yep, that's on the list. Um, one. Um, oh, there's... Um, <laughs> It's like the one hundred year old man who climbed out a window or something. I think that's uh, the t- number one hundred. Oh, is it the number one hundred? I thought yeah, it was just okay. Uh, give me one more shot here, if I yeah, can go, think go, of go anything. Ahead. Yeah. Um. You did a deep dive. We did a deep dive of one of them. Oh gosh. With Jack. Oh, one floor of the cuckoo's nest. Yeah, wow. I never would have. <laughs> there we go. There's another one. You got two. I, and I'm I'm not going to get any more. Gosh, that just blew my mind. My brain is just not in the... Wow. No, I was That's not going to... Yeah. Okay. What else is so there? Hopefully... <laughs> so, okay. So we have, like I said, like the word the could be in the title. Sure. Like the one. With, oh, uh, gosh. The one. I love that uh, movie. <laughs> 2001's The One. Uh, 2020's One and Only Ivan. The One and Only oh, Ivan. Oh, gosh. Uh, tw- 2019's One Child Nation. 2011's One Day. 1992's One False Move. 1975's One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. 1941, One Foot in Heaven. 2002's One Hour Photo. 2014's The One I Love. Uh, 2005 is One Missed Call, 2006, One Night with the King, 1998's One True Thing. <laughs> yeah, there's only like two of those I feel bad about missing. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, there's a couple, I'm like, I don't even remember half those movies. Like, I, I know the one, I know one hour, uh, the one and only, One Child Nation, and the ones you've mentioned, but I was like, the One Night with the King, I think that was the movie about Esther. Yeah, like, yeah, the yeah, yeah. Story. yeah. I, I know that one, that but that's about it, really. One Missed Call, that's a horror film, but... Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that's yeah, good stuff. <laughs> Gosh, and and I'm the one that builds the website and updates it, so that that's kind of depressing that I can't find those. Uh... Well, I figured I put you on the spot so the guys can listen to this. And it's like, yeah, it doesn't feel so good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, wow, that's a tough. That was that was that was. Too that's tough. a tough that one too... though. That's a tough. Yeah, one. that's uh, that's obscure. <laughs> uh, okay, all right. Well, there you go. I I this, see. I oh, I never win trivia anyways, so. Okay, well, let's wrap this up with a quote. Strawberries. Not the cheese. Womack. With a little sex in it. Quote of the day. Um, well, obviously you won trivia by stumping me completely, so I'm going to let you go first. Oh, okay. So my quote is from Kurt Schilling. No, get out. <laughs> that would be bad. Okay, I'm actually uh, I'm still pulling it up, so I, I have you. I'll, okay, I'll, I'll pass You'll it to defer. you. All right, so I'm gonna I'll go first then. Uh, so my quote, uh, still talking baseball here. My quote is uh, from uh, Bob Euchre's uh, Hall of Fame speech, Hall of Fame acceptance speech. Uh, I wanted to get a good uh, a good quote here from a Hall of Fame acceptance speech, and I mean no one's better than Bob Euchre, so. This is a line I found, uh, a little story he told from his acceptance speech. He said, I did not have a lot of of ability as a kid, and my dad wanted me to have everything that everybody else had. I think the first thing he ever bought me was a football, and I was very young. Uh, He didn't know a lot about it. He came from the old country. I mean, 
we tried to pass it and throw it and kick it, and we couldn't do it. And it was very <laughs> discouraging for him and for me. Om uh, almost. We almost quit. And finally, we had a nice enough neighbor come over and put some air in it. And man, what a difference. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. That's good. <laughs> Bob Euchert's amazing. Uh, no one tells a story quite like Bob Euchert. No, he doesn't. Uh, no one does. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, all right, so my uh, my quote of the day is from the film Possessor, which is one of my movies I reviewed here. It's a nice. little bit longer, but it's up from a character, Colin Tate, and he's explaining this, this interesting idea. Just think, one day your wife is cleaning the cat litter, and she gets a worm in her, and that worm ends up in her brain. The next thing that happens is she gets an idea in there, in there too, and it's hard to say whether that idea is really hers or it's just the worm, and it makes her do certain things predator things eventually you realize that she isn't the same person anymore she's not the person that she used to be it's got to make you wonder whether you're really married to her or are you married to the worm whoa yeah and that's kind of how i feel at, about this podcast oh <laughs> <laughs> uh... Yes. It's a great movie, Terry. Two ninety nine on uh, Amazon. I may, Watch it. I may have to check that out. I may have to check that out. All right. Well, with that, we're going to bring this podcast to a close. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, we'll be back at you next week with uh, with an episode, a little more traditional of an episode. Todd and Zach should be back by then. Uh, but until then, thank you, Adam, for joining us, substituting in. Uh, have fun watching movies, guys, and we'll catch you on the flip side. Later. Despite your crass behavior, I'm glad we were able to do this together.